these words, but happy holidays, apparently. I mean, it feels like it was just yesterday that we were all trapped at home searching for toilet paper, and now it's another holiday, and time just keeps going. We, we just finished a series on slowing down, but it's not slowing down. And here we are kicking off a new season, a season of Christmas, of Advent. In the next five weeks, we're actually going to keep challenging you to slow down and to remember God's good gift, which is arguably insanely hard this time of year because everything this time of year actually accelerates and beckons us to do more, attend more, be busy with more, from holiday parties to Christmas recitals, pictures with whoever. This season beckons us to be busy and to pour ourselves into so many other things. Every year we search for the perfect gift. Shopping right at the top of the list. How many have already started your shopping? Rushing out in stores, dealing with other people who are busy. In the midst of this, we search and we go out and we spend all our free time exhausting ourselves, trying to find something perfect for a person who can never be satisfied with anything because they already have everything. Every year we think we've stumbled on that perfect gift for the perfect person to bring them perfect joy, only to realize the irony of Christmas is we thought we found the perfect gift last year and the year before. And where's that perfect gift now? In a drawer? In a closet? A distant memory? That perfect gift that we thought would just delight them and fill them is lost and forgotten. In the midst of a world filled with longing, this season stands as a reminder then that we need a perfect gift and all other gifts fail. Enter Jesus. The season points us to one who can satisfy every longing and every desire. Where everything else falls short, God provides his perfect gift to us. And so for the next five weeks, we are going to unpack the Christmas story piece by piece, text by text. And we're going to find something unique and beautiful in the Christmas story. We're going to find that every character in the Christmas story focuses and celebrates on a different facet of God's perfect gift to us. Jesus being the embodiment, the living embodiment of that gift from hope to peace, mercy to joy. And we see it right from the story's beginning with the first words, the announcement of an angel as he announces deliverance for God's people. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. It's in the New Testament. That's two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you have a physical Bible there, if you don't, there may be one under the seat rack in front of you. Or pull it up on whatever device you use for those of you watching online as well. And if you have none of those things, we'll put the scriptures on the screen for you in just a moment. But in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin with this announcement from an angel, beginning in verse 26. Luke records this for us in Luke 1. Verse 26, he writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is the beginning of the story. Luke tells us in verse 5 that all of this occurred in the days of Herod, who is king of Judea. What we know historically is that really Herod wasn't king and it wasn't a Jewish state. Herod historically is what we call a client king, a vassal king. He is only serving because Rome has allowed him to. And he serves at the pleasure of Rome and under the authority of Rome. Rome would split up their empire in districts. They would assign those districts uh, people that would serve for Rome. But they were given great autonomy. King Herod, a, a prime example of this, had great autonomy, ruled as though he was king, when the truth of the matter was at any moment Rome could come calling. It sets the stage, see, because Israel is under... Roman authority. Israel is yet again in a place where there's another empire over it. After Assyria, we talked about last week, there was Babylon. After Babylon came Persia. After Persia came the Greeks. After the Greeks came the Seleucid Empire, right up to now Rome. And and I say all of this to to simply point out and, and, and make a picture in your minds, if you will, of the desperation that these people had for deliverance. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they had had been ruled by someone else. An empire had always been over them, and yet they lived with the memory of a promised land that they haven't controlled in some 700 years. We can't even fathom a land being 700 years old, let alone being oppressed for 700 years as a part of our history. But they know the promise of God that one day God would provide a king. That one day God would establish his kingdom for his people and reestablish his rule. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they had been watching and waiting for this. They'd been hearing the promises and then for 400 years more, God had gone silent and they were just waiting. Desperate. For deliverance, with that backdrop in place, with that context before you, hear the announcement and consider the weight of the words of this angel. 
Luke says in verse 26, in the sixth month, he comes and he delivers this, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We'll talk about her and her husband next week. But he comes to a virgin betrothed, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. For centuries waiting for deliverance and now an angel is coming and visiting a relative of the house of David. As someone who's been waiting for centuries for God to deliver them, the tension, the hope, the promise is now palpable. The angel's greeting shows such great weight too. He says in verse 21, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the text says that Mary is greatly troubled at this greeting. This is not a usual greeting. Greetings, O favored one. She's greatly troubled. She cannot understand why she would be greeted in this way. Why? Because nowhere else in scripture is a woman greeted by God with such words. Nowhere else, let alone an unwed, teenaged girl. God comes in and completely flips the script of what is expected and what is customary in that culture, greeting a young woman as favored. And she's confused because this isn't the greeting for a girl like her. This is a greeting for a king, this is a greeting for royalty. This is a greeting for someone who is highly spiritual. Later in the series, we'll cover Simeon and Anna in the temple. Anna, an aged woman who the scripture says day after day is in the temple fasting and worshiping and praying. This is a greeting for someone like that. But Mary isn't on anyone's radar. She's not finishing up her last years in university with a high grade point average as a Rhodes Scholar. She's not about to accept an internship at Deloitte. She's nobody. In a male-dominated culture, she's largely ignored, and yet God sees her and greets her and says she's favored. Why? Because of something in her? No. She's favored only because of God's grace upon her. Theologically speaking, there's nothing in us that draws God to us. God didn't look down from heaven and be like, oh, a teenage girl, wow, favored. If you've raised a teenage girl, you know that can't be what happened, right? No, the, the, the theology of the scriptures is clear. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a righteous man or woman on the earth who does what is right and never sins. Mary understands exactly who she is. Mary understands there's nothing special in her. She's favored, why? Because God's grace is on her. Because God has chosen to look upon her. Mary's favored because God is good and gracious, and he's faithful to his promises, and God is faithful to his people. That's why she's favored. You want to be favored by God? You can be, because God is gracious. Mary finds favor with God. What is that favor? The angel breaks it down in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found 
favor. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. The angel delivers this profound news of God's blessing on her life. She will conceive a son who will sit on the throne of her father, David, his father, David. There's a five-fold reference in this text to Jesus coming as king, to Jesus' kingship. He is great. He's son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. To the people of God living under the oppression of Rome, how do you think those words struck? They struck deep. From the house of David? the house from whom the Messiah would come, the only legitimate lineage that can sit on the throne, again, from this house to fulfill this promise, this angel is speaking. God is providing deliverance to his people, and it's not lost on a Jewish people, certainly not a Jewish young girl. Even in the instruction of what they are to call him in verse 31, you should call his name Jesus. The Hebrew name Jesus is Yeshua, and it means to deliver. See, according to Jewish custom, the firstborn son would be given a family name, be named after the father, perhaps a grandfather, a significant male in the family to remind the people of all that God had done and how he's moving in that family and how special that family is to carry on the lineage of that family. Mary's betrothed to Joseph. The angel comes and says, name your son Jesus, Yeshua. Once again, God doing the unexpected. Because here the angel is signifying what God wants to do for his people. This Jesus has come to deliver. This Jesus with this fivefold reference of kingship has come to deliver. Everything in this passage is pointing to God and his purpose to deliver his people. A king on a throne come to reign and reign forever. It's the promise that the people of God have been clinging to for centuries deliverance, and now Yeshua has come to deliver. Can you imagine waiting so long to be delivered? We can't even wait for our food. And I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about you. We were watching college football last night and all the commercials advertising what at restaurants? That you can order ahead on the app and then skip the line and just pick up your food. And it shows this guy who's like laughing at everybody, stuck in line, at KFC. Is there anybody stuck in line at KFC? Anybody still go there? We, we are horrible at waiting. We, we don't want to wait, and we've, we've spent billions of dollars building enterprises that will make sure that we don't have to wait any longer. Free Amazon Prime overnight shipping Man, if we see that package get stuck in Louisville for more than a few hours in our tracking, we are like, come on, Jeff Bezos. We hate to wait. We don't wait for anything anymore. And when we're forced to, we're terrible at it. Can you imagine waiting for hundreds of years for God to free your people, for God to lift the hand of an oppressor, For God to just 
deliver on this promise that you've heard generation after generation after generation speak of, but you have never known. Maybe you can, maybe, maybe you feel like you've been waiting for centuries, waiting for God to deliver for your marriage, waiting for God to deliver for your child, waiting for God to deliver in health or in a job crisis, and you've been sowing seeds of prayer day after day, and it now feels like centuries that God has not answered. Maybe you can understand the desperation and the hope of deliverance that hasn't come. Ernest Shackleton, famed explorer, whose, whose goal was to reach the Antarctic and walk across it, would, in, in one of his earlier journeys, set out with his crew on the ship Endurance. And as they were approaching the Antarctic, the ice field that, that surrounds the Antarctic kind of crept in because of a storm around the ship. And the ship got stuck in the ice field. They waited it out, expecting that perhaps it would be pulled back out to sea, and then the ship could continue closer to the Antarctic. But instead, there they were lodged, day after day, waiting They threw things overboard trying to dislodge the ship, but the ice just kept pressing in. Shackleton realized that winter was coming, and at one point he finally called it. The ship was stuck. It was there for the winter. And what the ice takes, the ice keeps, he famously quoted. They all abandoned ship and pulled the lifeboats off. And within another day or two, the ice crushes the hull of the ship, and it sinks in front of them. And there they are stranded on this ice field trying to reach the Antarctic. They all jump in these lifeboats or they they push them to the edge of the ice field and then jump in the lifeboats and begin to paddle by hand to safety. They row until they see an island on the horizon. They reach the island, it's Elephant Island, and there Shackleton realizes that no one is coming for them. This is before GPS, before radio, He and a few men must go in search of another ship and in search of help. And so they take one of the boats and they set off. They paddle 800 miles looking for help, while 22 of his men are left on the island to wait. And they wait on this island off the coast of the Antarctic for four months, every day, looking out on the horizon, hoping to see a ship, surviving off of seal meat every day in this makeshift tent in winter conditions, waiting. Hope will come, waiting. Hope will come. We're stranded in a cold and a broken world constantly reminded of the brokenness of our own condition and that of others. Starving, suffering with pain and frustration, relationships that aren't working, careers that aren't going where we thought, and countries that are changing. And we wait, and we wait for deliverance. But God's deliverance is far more than just a physical king. They're not just waiting for heaven. Listen again to the dialogue between Mary and the angel. Pick it up with me in verse 34. 
Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Of course, Mary is confused. The angel has announced that a king will come, that she will conceive and bear this son of the, of the house of David to sit on David's throne. As young and innocent as she is, she can't wrap her mind around it. How can she conceive a son when she's never been with a man? Gabriel's answer to that question does far more than just speak into the logistics of pregnancy. Gabriel's answer will actually point to the purpose of God, to the true hope of this deliverance that is coming. First, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The language here is profound. Overshadow would hearken in her mind as a young Jew all of these stories of God coming and meeting with his people. Back in the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 30, or chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He overshadowed it. First Kings 8, 10 to 11, after Solomon had built the temple and they were dedicating it, when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And later, Jesus in his ministry, he would pull a few of his disciples aside. They would ascend a mount. He would be transformed before them. Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration says this, that he was transfigured, changed before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then in verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them. It was the presence of God. A voice came out of the cloud, Mark says, saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. What happens to Mary in this moment is not just that the angel helps her figure out how she's gonna get pregnant. The angel here announces that God will once again dwell with his people. That God is moving in to the neighborhood as Eugene Peterson once wrote. That his very presence would come and he would fill this place. He would literally fill her. And God's presence would overshadow her. Far more than just a physical thing, the language here is that of a spiritual thing. God come to dwell with his people as near as a mother to a child in her womb. And then second, from there, Gabriel says in verse, also in verse 35, that a child will be called holy. This child will be called holy. Won't just be called king, he will be called holy. God is not just doing a physical work for a physical people, he is doing a spiritual work through one who is not just a physical leader, but a holy spiritual leader. A spiritual leader come to do the work of God. This isn't about Rome anymore, this isn't about government anymore. 
This isn't about hard days or hard jobs or hard marriages or hard circumstances. This is about God delivering his people from something far greater, far deeper. God is not just interested in delivering us from the here and the now. God came to deliver you from sin and death, from guilt and shame. God came to do a work in your heart that no one else can do. That no amount of New Year's resolutions can change. God came to do a work deep inside through his spirit and his son. You and I are in bondage to an oppressor far greater than Rome and there's nothing that we could do. And so God sends a good gift and Jesus is that good gift. Jesus is the good gift of deliverance the one who will walk us out of Egypt, the one who will rescue us from Rome. Jesus is the deliverer come to save you from your sin. Jesus is the only one who could. And so God sends him to do exactly that. Jesus is the great deliverer. And at Christmas, we remember God's good gift of deliverance. The very first thing that the angel celebrates is that deliverance has come. Not just in a physical way. Yes, is heaven coming? Yes. Will God restore all things? Yes. But far greater, God has done a work that we cannot fathom. And at this time of year, more so than any other, as we rush and speed through the season and get caught up in traditions and gifts and meals and who's coming and who's not, and oh, they're coming. In the midst of all of the things that pull our eyes and our attention other directions, oh, that we would slow down and remember that this is a season that started deliverance. God came to deliver you. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway for this? Each week in the series, we'll do a takeaway. And each week in the series, we're going to add a reflection for you to do. And we're going to give you a way to do that as a family by giving you a Christmas gift. Yes, we've already bought you a Christmas gift. I honestly can't wait to see what you got me. Out in the lobby as you leave, these Christmas gifts are lined up against the wall and by our Christmas tree, and they're for you, one per family, because we just loved you a family at a time instead of individually. I don't know how that works. One per family. This gift is designed to help lead your family on a journey through the Advent season. In partnership with it is an Advent reading guide, the Advent guide, Advent Christmas, the, the coming of Jesus. You can find the Advent reading guide on our mobile site, which we talk about every week, so you've already checked it, I'm sure. And there on the mobile site, or just follow the Advent link that you see on the screen, you'll find this Advent reading guide for you and your family. We furnished you with readings for every day of the week, scriptures that you can read and reflect on as you remember the great gift that has come. We furnish you with a family devotional to read together as a family each week. And we furnish you with a family activity as well. One of those activities will have us celebrating joy, and so we've already given you the joy cookie cutter 
so that you can spend time as a family slowing down and talking about what God has done for you. And each week then in that Advent guide, there will be a prompt for you to reflect on one of the themes from the scriptures that we're preaching. This week's theme of deliverance, here's your prompt and your reflection. We want you to take a piece of paper and we want you to write down one way that God has delivered you this year. We want you to slow down and remember God's good work. And so on that slip of paper, write down one thing, one way in which God has delivered you this year. Maybe it was from hardship. Maybe it was from illness. Maybe it was a job situation or a relational issue. Write down one way in which God has shown up and, and, and shown his deliverance to you. And then take a second piece of paper, or after you've written it, put it in the box. Then take a second piece of paper. And on that second piece of paper, you're going to write a prompt for prayer. Write one thing that you're praying that God will deliver you from. One thing where you're still waiting on his deliverance. One thing where you're still waiting for God to rescue you. And you're praying that he would come and you're praying that he would move. And he hasn't answered yet. And write that down and put it in the box. You see, each week we're going to give you these prompts each week you'll write one thing to remember and one thing to pray over and you'll put them in the box. And on Christmas morning, the Advent guide will prompt you that before you open the gifts, you as a family open the box and you remember every good gift. You remember what God has already done for you. And then as a family, you pray over those things that you're still yet waiting to do. At the end of the Christmas season, you put all that back in the box, just like we do everything else, and you're going to store this box along with your Christmas decor. And next year, right before Thanksgiving, when you should be pulling out your Christmas decorations, <laughs> Adam, you'll reach for the decorations and you're going to find this box. And we want you to pull this box out, and as you open it, we want you to see what God has done. Because Jesus is our deliverer. The things that we place before him, he can be trusted with. What does this mean for you? Maybe your heart is aching, you've been seeking God to deliver you. Maybe there's a relationship, a struggle, a burden, and you've been praying and crying out for rescue. What do you do in this season? Mary's heart and Mary's response is our clue. We'll speak more on Mary in a couple weeks, but just in this text alone, what we see from Mary is this, that God is pleased to work in those whose hearts are fully submitted to him. What does Mary say after this news? Just may it be to me according to your word. Is your heart heavy looking for deliverance? And submit your heart to him. Say to him, may it be to me according to your will and your word, O Lord. As we submit our lives to him, what the scriptures show us is that those who are fully surrendered, fully submitted, those are the ones that God is pleased to move in and through. 
So maybe in the midst of all of the burdens this year, we begin there. Would you be willing to submit your heart? Would you be willing to submit that ache, that desire for deliverance to him today, to the only one who can rescue you? Would you pray with me? Father God, I just pray over my brothers and sisters here in this room and those joining us, worshiping with us online. For the heaviness that can so often come in this season, the reminder of loss. The heaviness, Father, of tensions with family. The heaviness, Father, of employment issues and the pressure, God, of providing Lord, we lift our burdens to you. You alone can deliver. But perhaps you're sitting here or listening online and you feel the heaviness of your own decisions, the heaviness of your own actions, the heaviness of what scripture would say is, is sin, our departure from God, are seeking to do it our own way and the weight of the guilt and the shame of those things that we have done that we can't fix and we can't forget. And we bear that burden, but Jesus came to lift that burden from you. Jesus came to be your deliverer and to take your sin and your shame. And if you've never submitted your heart to him, and allowed him to carry that burden and to forgive you of your sin, would you do that today, right here, right now? Would you pray these simple words along with me? Father God, I need your rescue. And I seek you to deliver me from the weight of this guilt, the weight of this shame, the weight of a life that's gone off the rails. God, would you change me? Would you forgive me? Would you transform me? I'm placing my faith in you and in your son, Jesus. And I'm asking your forgiveness. And I'm asking it in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we come seeking just that. And we're grateful that when we pray and cry out, you are pleased to hear and pleased to respond. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.